Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Um, Advent. The general definition of the word Advent is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. The specific definition that it really applies to us is that it's the first season of the Christian church year leading up to Christmas. It includes these four preceding Sundays, as I said, and it, it represents a time of expectant waiting and preparation, both for the celebration of the nativity of Christ, but also the second coming of Christ. This expectant waiting was the story of the Hebrew people, God's chosen people, this, this Jewish nation throughout their history. It was about expectant waiting. They were awaiting a promised Messiah, the one that they anticipated to be the deliverer for them, to deliver them from the oppression that they had experienced. And, and the reason that that's important, I'm going to rewind real quick. You don't, don't turn in your Bibles back there. You're just going to have to trust me to give you the summary. Each week as we look at, at, a, at a different aspect of Advent, it ties back to uh, the Old Testament and, and some strong Old Testament covenant. And so all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, and we call that the fall of man. That's the, the theological term that we, 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 we call that, the fall. Well, there were consequences that happened there as, as a result of that fall. And those consequences really still impact us today. And so Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19 are, are really what's known as the Adamic covenant. How about that for a good seminary word? Adam, Adam, I see, Adamic covenant, this covenant that God made. And basically, God had to pronounce curse upon the enemy and, 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 and th that we're impacted by that curse, the consequences of that here today. So just as a refresher and a reminder, here are the things that God said would be part of this, the consequences for sin. There would be enmity between Satan and Eve and her descendants. There would be painful childbirth for women, marital strife, the soil would be cursed. The introduction of thorns and thistles. Remember, there was a garden of Eden. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Man, uh, Adam and Eve were to tend that. Well, now there's thorns and thistles. And so there, there's going to be struggle. And, and just, just to survive, it's going to be a struggle. Death is introduced into the world. And that'll be the inescapable fate of all living things. So that is a heavy load of consequence and a heavy load of, of, of understanding of the covenant and the, the negative consequences the, that man had to bear. But as difficult as these consequences were, there was also grace that God provided. And he, he gives us a beautiful picture here in verse 15 where he says, I will put hostility, talking to the enemy, the serpent, I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That is a beautiful picture of the promise that there will be one born of a woman that would be wounded in the process of destroying Satan. 
Man, the, the impact of, of submitting to Satan and that sin was, was painful and it was powerful. But there was hope in the midst of that, that, that the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head, we know, would be Jesus Christ. And even in the midst of the curse, God's gracious provision of salvation shines through. So now we fast forward through the Old Testament and all the accounts of God and his people and the striving and the, you know, the, the rewards of obedience, but more often the, the, the consequences of disobedience. This just ro- roller coaster up and down. And we, we look at it and go, man, how could they be so hard-headed? How could they know that God wants to bless them? And how could they know that they're going to experience the painful consequences and they still do stuff that God told them not to do. Hello. We look in the mirror and realize we're not all that different, are we? We're still people that know better, and we still wind up finding ways to not give God all that he is due. But that's what was going on with them. Then at the end of the Old Testament, there's between the end of Malachi and then what we read is the beginning of Matthew There's 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament writing. No new prophets are raised up. God didn't reveal anything new to his people. No new teaching, no new speaking to them. But then, finally, and here's where we're headed today. Jesus steps into humanity. The Messiah arrives in a manger. He grows into a man. He begins his ministry. It changed everything. He interacted with a religious system that was built upon the promise of his coming, but didn't recognize him when he showed up. Remember John chapter 1. He came to his own. His own didn't receive him, but to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, those that believe on his name. That was the promise that, that, that he gave. That's what, that's what needed to have happened there. So what he did was he came to bring something greater than they had known or imagined. Today, we're going to look at a couple of interactions that Jesus had with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. I invite you to be turning in your Bibles there. The Pharisees were the religious elite among the Jews. And it's significant to know what their role was and what they were about and why Jesus had such tense, interesting encounters with them. But put it in the whole context of knowing that from the very beginning, God has had a plan for his people. And he wanted to interact with his people. He wanted his people to have fellowship with him. And they built this whole religious system and they tried their best they they, they could to understand God in the context of that system. And these Pharisees were all about the system and all about the rules and all about the hoops. And they often missed the point. And so I want to invite you to please stand together as we read God's word. We'll read in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll skip down to verse 38. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priest." Or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? 
I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And now down to verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. As you're being seated it won't surprise you that the title of our sermon series is Something Greater. Something Greater. Man, that's hopefully encouraging to you. Uh, the main idea of, of this message today is this. Jesus is far greater than anyone or anything we've ever known. Jesus is far greater than anyone or anything we've ever known. First of all, we see he's greater than the temple. So Jesus and the disciples passing through this grain field. It happens to be the Sabbath. They're hungry. Man, they pick the tops out of, out of some of this grain and they eat it. And the Pharisees, as they were prone to do, called them out on it. I mean, they were all about following the rules. And, 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 and they just said, hey, that's forbidden on the Sabbath. According to the Talmud, which is the, the Jewish, the compilation of Jewish laws that really help um, kind of guide their rituals and their practice, there were 39 things that the rabbis had determined were, were in the category of work. And they, as they walked through this field, first of all, you couldn't walk more than 2,000 paces in a day. So it's kind of funny that if you're pointing them out, you had to be walking along with them in order to, to, to know that, right? A little bit of hypocrisy there, just a little bit. Hey, they're the Pharisees. They're good at that. So they're walking through, and then the, the very act of plucking the grain and eating the grain, all of that would have been a problem. And so that's what they're hammering down on. And so Jesus addresses that. And he uses their hero, David, in his explanation for it. I mean, David was the man. He, he, was, he was the king that, that they looked to. He was the one, man, they traced their lineage to him. And so, man, D David was just the man. And so he said, hey, didn't you read about what David did when, when, when he and those who were with him were hungry? And he's referring uh, back to a situation that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21. We're not going to take time to read all that today. But David and his men were hungry. They were in the temple, and they got a pass from the priest to be able to eat there to get the nourishment that needed to happen. They had permission to do that. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, don't y'all understand that, that that's, that's kind of what happened there? And then, by the way, I mean, the priest, for, them, for the priest, the Sabbath is a work day. What are they supposed to do ab about that? Now, they weren't out doing crazy, great you know, labor or anything like that, but they had responsibilities that they had to carry out on behalf of the people. And so he's just kind of exposing to them that they were really focusing on things that were really on the whole in the minor. These Sabbath days were so important to their culture, but understand that there have to be people that help make those things happen for you. And so he says, I tell you that something greater then the temple is here. Well, why was the temple great? 
The temple was hugely significant in the life of the Jewish people. It represented the very presence of God himself. That's where he was recognized to be. It was the place where, where they made their sacrifices, where worship happened, where gathering, connection. Uh, it brought people closer to God, all of these things. And so it had to be shocking for the Jews to hear that there was something greater than the temple because the temple was central to them for their religious practice and their encounter with God. Why is Jesus greater? He's referring to himself. Well, while sacrifices happened at the temple, we know Jesus came to be the ultimate sacrifice, that we were able to worship him personally, not just have to go to some place. You know, you, you understand now that, you know, we call this the house of the Lord, but, but we all know that this is just a building that happens to be situated right here at this place in West Monroe that we come to, but God's everywhere that we can worship him anywhere, that Jesus Christ, by relationship with him, he lives in us. And so we're able to encounter him and we're able to worship him wherever. It's important that we come together and gather, but there's no magic about the temple, about the building. It's about the presence and the encounter with Jesus, that, that his love towards us draws us nearer to him. Jesus came to reside in the hearts of those that love him. And that was a different concept than having to go to a place where we encounter, they would encounter the presence of God. He was greater than the temple. Secondly, he was greater than all other prophets. And this is a very interesting reference right here uh, that, that he makes in, over, over in, uh, in verse 38. The, they're, they're asking for this sign. And, and he tells them, hey, you know, don't worry about that sign. This evil and adulterous generation wants a sign. Man, don't, haven't we all wanted a sign? Haven't we all said something like, if the Lord, if you would just and fill in the blank, then I would know and you fill in the blank. That's kind of that deal that we try to, try to work out, right? That's just kind of a little bit of human nature for us to want to, to, want to do that. Well, there had been plenty of signs. Jesus performs miracles, and we know that there were still people that right there that, that ultimately didn't believe in him in spite of what they were saying and, and seeing. And so he's saying, hey, this evil adulterous generation demands a sign. Here's the sign that you're going to get, the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he reminded them that Jonah had been in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights. And just like that, the Son of Man, which was Jesus' term, that's, that was the phrase that he used for himself, the Son of Man would be three days and three nights in the earth, referring to once he was crucified and he was placed in that tomb. And he says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. So Jonah, remember him, that rebellious prophet, God tells him, hey, you go to Nineveh and you preach to those people and Jonah wasn't about to do it. Nineveh, I mean, by the way, Nineveh is, is today what we know as modern-day Mosul, Iraq. Did you know that? So you can imagine the fear that, that Jonah would have had going there. 
God told him to go and, and to preach, man, so that they could understand truth and they could understand the hope that they could encounter Almighty God. And Jonah's like, no, man, the, Nineveh's the capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians are this violent people. Man, they did horrible things to folks. No, I don't want them getting any good news. I'm not going over there. He was feared for his, fear, fearful for his own life, but he also didn't want them to get something they didn't deserve. Man, have you ever felt that way? I don't want them getting that good news. They deserve what's coming to them. They, they deserve destruction. They deserve that whipping. And once again, we look in the mirror and realize that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us have got a sin problem. None of us are worthy or deserving of any good thing from God. So here's Jonah fighting against God. Jonah winds up having to you know, get swallowed up by the fish. Finally, after those three days and three nights, he gets spit back out and got the message and went to Nineveh and he preached and they repented. These evil people that were anything but godly, they repented of their sin and Jonah was not happy about it. He wanted them to get great punishment. Well, Jonah obviously preached a great message he, he overcame his disobedience. He went and preached it. I wish his heart would have been right about it. But these that repented at Jonah's preaching, Jesus says those men of Nineveh, they'll stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. And so Jesus is saying these men of Nineveh that responded, that repented of their sin, they're going to be standing at the judgment and pronouncing condemnation on this generation. And Jesus said, so as great as Jonah's message was, as impactful as it was, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is greater than any prophet. It was significant. Jonah was part of God's plan. He was a prophet of God. He did what, finally did what God called, called him to go and do. That city repented. And Jesus is clearly saying that the resurrection will prove that he's the Messiah that he's the truth of God that Jonah proclaimed. And three days after his death, that he'd come back to life, just like Jonah was given a new chance of life after three days in the fish. In other words, if you think a prophet is great, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus is far greater than any prophet. He's the culmination of God's plan. Prophets do great things. They proclaim great truths on behalf of God, but Jesus was the truth. He is the truth. He's the truth in human flesh. He was the fulfillment of prophecy. He's far greater. He didn't have to say, thus saith the Lord. He was thus saith the Lord. He was the Lord. He is greater than the temple, and he is greater than any prophet. And finally, he's greater than all other kings. All other kings. Verse 42 says, the queen of the south, that's referring to the queen of Sheba, who in 1 Kings chapter 10 went to visit Solomon. She had heard about Solomon and uh, his wisdom and that being attached to the name of the almighty God. And so it says that she, this queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Well, verses four and five of 1 Kings chapter 10 says this, 
that when the queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servant's residence, his attendant service and their attire, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. Now think about this. Solomon, he was the king. He had everything. He had all of this wealth. He, had, he owned it all. He had all the power. He had ultimate power and authority in his kingdom. He held the power of life and death over all the subjects of his kingdom. He could claim ownership of everything. He ruled. He had the authority. He built the temple. Solomon, that's what he was about. And so this queen of Sheba, who was a queen in her own right, we think probably from the area around Ethiopia or so, this queen in encountering this king and all that he had and all that he represented and all that he was, he was as big a deal as any man could be a big deal in that time. And it took her breath away. And Jesus says something greater than Solomon is here. There had been no other man greater than Solomon. But Jesus says there's something greater than Solomon that's here. In other words, if you think a king is great, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus is greater. How? Well, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He rules, not past tense. He, he rules. His authority is, is matchless. There's nothing that's not ultimately under his control. He's sovereign. His power is limitless. He can do anything he wants the way that he wants to do it. He is Jesus. So Jesus is helping them understand that there is something greater than all of these things that they had built their religious system around. All of these things that they thought were a big deal, Jesus is greater. Over in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, I want to read to you this fulfillment of all this. Paul wrote this about Jesus. He says, so then... As through one trespass, as Adam's sin, there is condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, what Jesus did, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's us. That's us. Because of Jesus' obedience, those of us that receive him, we are made righteous. Not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of what he has done. Verse 20, the law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's something greater. God's grace is greater than all of our sins. It's an old hymn that we sing. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. God's grace is something greater. It's embodied in who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so as we aim toward the Christmas season and we walk 
through Advent together, let's have our hearts focused on the significance of the birth of Christ, not just the wonder and the beauty of the star and the silent night and the manger and all these things that, that have begun to decorate our homes that are beautiful and they're a great reminder to us. But remember, it's not just the setup for that, that Christmas morning, which is going to be on Sunday this year. And, and we ex get excited about what's under the tree and the presents and all that type stuff. Now, there is a greater significance. It's, it's beyond that, beyond just the crazy commercialization that the world buzzes about. I'm challenging us and calling us to have an awareness that the precious innocence of that baby that was born in that manger was for a greater purpose. But we love the beauty of the baby. We love it. Love thinking about that. We love thinking about that, that, that nativity scene and that stable. But don't forget that the beauty and the innocence of that precious baby would be marred by the sin that the scripture says that he became on our behalf. Now you think about that. What's more innocent than a newborn baby? Man, I look at that grandbaby of ours like you look at yours, and you just think, man, how precious, how pure, and how, how wonderful that, that is. Man, how, how much we love to love him and, and just to, to do for him and provide for him. But you fast forward when you're thinking about this baby in the manger and know that he came not just so we'd have a sweet time in December every year where we get together and we, we exchange presents, but we acknowledge God coming into this world in human flesh. God himself born in a manger, not for a great story, but for our great sin. To be the one that could overcome it, to be the one that would pay the price for it, for him to take on what was not that what, what, he, what he did not owe on our behalf, the beauty of the manger, but the ugliness of the cross that became beautiful for us because of what it accomplished. Because when Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave, that gave us all hope. I hope that your Advent season, that you can be mindful of that, that you can tune into that, that you can look ahead to that have a greater purpose with it. Matthew 1, 20 and 21, this beautiful encounter that Joseph had with the angel says, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of God, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I have no doubt that Joseph, earlier in his life, looked forward to when he would be the father of a son. And we know that not at all on that list of things that he was looking forward to and he was dreaming of for his son, not at all was on the list that he would save the people from their sins. And in order to do that, it would cost him a horrible, ugly death. But Joseph submitted to that. As you consider Christmas, as we look forward to it, 
understand that there's a whole lot involved in that from the very beginning of this right here. God's plan for his people was to have fellowship with him. Sin breaks that fellowship, but God didn't leave us destroyed and devastated. He provided a way through his son, Jesus, that we could overcome that sin problem and we could be made right and have right relationship with almighty, holy God because of what Jesus would do. Advent, we'll look at hope, love, joy, peace, those beautiful words and those beautiful concepts, but they come at a great cost and a great price. Jesus paid it. Jesus coming into this world changed everything. He's greater than any temple, greater than any prophet, greater than any king. Don't settle for good. Don't settle for busy and miss what is greater. Jesus. Compared to Jesus, there has never been, never will be anyone or anything greater. And there's no greater love that we'll ever experience than the love that Jesus has toward us. Is your heart ready for that this Christmas? Would you bow with me right now? In these last moments here, I just want you to get honest with yourself right there where you're sitting. Do you need to take a breath? Do you already feel overwhelmed with the busyness of the season? Do you have some concerns about what all you're going to do? How are you going to pull it all off? Or maybe your concern is heavy, like first Christmas without that special person in your life that you've loved. That's reality for many of us here. I want to encourage you in this moment that you would renew your commitment not to be distracted, not to be overwhelmed, not to be thrown off course by stuff and by circumstances and by anything other than a real genuine encounter with Jesus. Know that he is that something greater. If you're a believer in Jesus right now, you know what to do. Would you just thank him for who he is, for what he's been, meant in your life, for saving you from your sin? And would you be praying for those that need to know this truth that I'm talking about right now? If you'd have to be honest in this moment and say, you know, Mark, I really do not have that level of relationship with Jesus. I, I don't, don't have that kind of peace in my life, that kind of confidence that I've surrendered my life to Jesus and he has forgiven me of my sin. I don't have that, but I need that and I want that. Well, then I want you to know that today that you can have that. You can step into relationship that he invites you to come into. You can receive him and have him do exactly what he said he would do. And that is call you a child of God. In the quietness of this moment, would you just simply pray? I'll pray out loud, but you pray to the Lord silently. A prayer like this, God, I realize that you love me. You sent your son Jesus to pay the price for my sin that I couldn't pay. And I know I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me. Wash my sin away. Give me a fresh start with you. I want to live life differently. I want something greater. I want you in my life. I want you to take control of who I am. Fill in those blanks that I haven't known how to fill. And Lord, make me whole. 
in a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. I want that. And so I turn from the way I'm going and I want to walk with you from this day forward. And I mean this with all of my heart. And if you prayed that, would you just thank the Lord for doing what he promised he would do and forgiving you and saying yes and and surrounding you with his love and invading your life? Would you say yes for that? Thank you for that. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for your truth. God, thank you that you don't leave us the way that we are, but Lord, you change us, that you are greater. You are all the greater that we need. And so, Lord, as we aim into this Christmas season, Lord, as we experience Advent together, I pray that our hearts will be right. They'll be be tuned and laser-focused on all that you are and all that you want us to be for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, again, that you were encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.